1: Hey, Dark here. Just to let you know that today's episode includes one or two swear words. So if you're listening with smallies, it might be good to cover their ears or listen later when they're not around. <laughs> Words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Pádraig Kavonik.
0: No, you're not, I am, <laughs> <laughs> but you are Daryl Cochet.
1: I surely am. Um... Pádraig. I was, um, I was recently um, overhearing some colleagues having a very bitter argument.
0: Oh, no, what was it about?
1: Well, it was about the one who was giving out about his daughter and her friends and the Americanisms they were using.
0: <gasps> Shock, horror, oh no. They were not, a, not Americanisms.
1: Well, first of all, he's saying... That's whack. It's, oh, it's, very, it's on a whack or fraud. It's not fly it's
0: at all. <laughs> 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 I'm actually struggling to think of modern Americanisms. Most of mine come from the first Prince of Bel-Air.
1: Completely. and this is the thing, and it's, it's, it's a funny one, because he was first of all giving out about his daughter talking in this very Kardashian-esque vocal fry. He even knew what the word "vocal fry" was. Oh, vocal
0: fry, and I mean, I was—that's okay. why you sound like you're a balloon that's deflating.
1: Somewhat, apparently. So I'm, I'm still learning about these things. But then he was recounting that she was using some uh, words that you know that she didn't pick up in ballybrack. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which words? Okay, go on. You have to, you have to hit me with this. Which words was she using?
1: She who was, you know, raised pro- proper Dublin girl, had suddenly started referring to her mother as her mom.
0: Ah, I no. Know. Ah, I no. That's a really Dublin-centric attitude to take, like, you know? I have a lot of cousins from Waterford. My family on my mother's side is from Waterford, and, and most of them would refer to their mammies as mom. Their mom.
1: This is the thing. So... There's been there are the number of Americanisms. But language moves both ways. We, as as has been well discussed, there is cast iron proof that Irish will invented all American slang. Oh, Christ. <laughs> oh. oh man. I can just I can hear a blog post being written angrily. Oh, I... <laughs> no, that,
0: that was an aneurysm happening inside my brain. <laughs> oh, not this but, again.
1: But That we, we 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 can leave that for another day because <laughs> uh, We've already done it. Exactly. We've,
0: we've had the conversation about this. The other day, go, is... go back to season 1. It's bullshit. Jazz is not Irish. Uh, <laughs> jazz is not Irish. It's bullshit. There are some terms that are probably Irish, like phony has a good chance of being Irish. We did this. We did this in season yeah. 1. It's done. Draw a line under it. Language goes both ways. What came over here?
1: So here's the thing. The, the, the internet, one of the things with the internet is, and people have been wondering, is it, is it destroying or is it changing regional slangs? And some of this, the, the idea is that, say, we, we, we're we familiar. Most people come from a county that has a certain amount of local, regional slang. Certain words have go from their region to become national or global. Oh, like shifting. Like shifting. And, like shifting.
0: Oh, well, you did a good you did a good article. Segway, I know, but you did a good article on the origins of the word shift. And you kinda you almost narrowed it down, but not quite. Isn't is that thing, fair?
1: This is the thing, because we a lot of um, I often think, you know, when you look at the kind of when, when people look at the etymologies of certain words, and we're gonna talk about some of those, they say, Well, this is all the evidence we have and and there's a big issue saying is the, is the first recorded use of shifting, meaning to kiss. Is that does does that demonstrably prove that that person invented the word at that spot, or could you interpret twenty or thirty years? Yeah, I get you. So how
0: how 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 long does something have to be in slang before it's recorded? And And it's it's kind of different these days because the internet is where you tend to see most of it. So, like, stuff makes it to the Oxford English Dictionary a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Like, within a year of the first recorded usage, you're seeing stuff make it into the Oxford Dictionary. There's that that usual article every year. It's like, oh, we've added selfie to the dictionary. It's like, shut up, dictionary man. You're not cool.
1: (laughs) And you'll never be cool. You must have known that when you applied for the job at the dictionary. (laughs) But... (laughs) But shifting, yeah. So I, I've, I've, believe I my research, I think it's, it is is it's a monstrous and probably Kerry Tipperary Limerick area, and for some reason it spread in a way that other terms for kissing didn't. Mm. But in that, probably
0: because the rest of them are obscene. Getting the
1: wear, getting the wear, Get, getting your wear, yeah. And it's a
0: th- and this is the thing. Meeting it was meeting when I was when I was growing up.
1: What outraged some Cork people. Recently, was the idea that Dublin people invented langer and stopped saying it. That is controversial. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we get over it. It's like, uh, and for example, even there's um in the snapper, the book of the snapper, Roddy Doyle does have a character referred to someone having a big langer, a Dublin character, and it's not. there's it no reference to uh, the, any any contact with Cork in it.
0: I I think um, to be honest with you, like langer is just used in a sense in Cork that like it's much um. It's it's much broader. Yeah. You know, the way it's used. Like it's it's almost like they had a song, they had a hit song, The Langer. You know? You know, and like you wouldn't get like, you know, you wouldn't have a hit song called The Prick. Like <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not it's not an identical usage. Like, you know, yeah. there there was always sort of two terms stuck out in mind. Like like Langer was slang term for a penis in Dublin yeah. for as long as I can remember. And also Langerd getting langert meant getting drunk, but it really wasn't used in the same context as somebody who, you know, makes a mistake or actually eejit or anything like that. It's like, oh, you're a langer. <laughs> it just wasn't used the same way. And it just, maybe yeah. there are certain slang terms that just lend themselves to an accent or a dialect much, yeah. much, much easier. And I just think it sounds so natural, so natural to have someone, particularly from Cork City, to call you a langer-like.
1: Completely. And it, it suits them. And, and there's a, something I'm, I've always been thinking as the... Is, does first usage, does, does first you can you interpret the growth of a, and the, the spread of a word, a slang word, from saying it's first usage? So some genius came up with this idea and then everyone else who started using it. Isn't it quite possible that a bunch of people all started using text as a verb independent of each other?
0: Of course it's possible. Yeah, because like text Unlikely. makes sense, doesn't it? Hmm. And You know, I, I remember like texting. Um, the act itself, sending an SMS message. It was far more popular over here yeah. than it was in the US, for example. Um, you know, because over there it costs money to both send and receive a text message, whereas local calls on your house phone were free. Yeah. So you just wouldn't do it. But then the mobile phone became ubiquitous. It became a lot less expensive and texting became part of the vernacular. But for a long, long time, American friends of mine were saying, I'll text message you. Yeah. So, I mean, the 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 desire to verb a noun <laughs> is, yeah. it's huge it's incredibly strong well yeah I mean is it entirely possible that people came up with shifting simultaneously I don't know if it's that obvious you know no. I don't know so it kind of it's it's a horses for courses thing it depends on the verb to me text just seems so intuitive because it's a text message yeah. I'll, I'll text it to
1: you and it is and it also when you look at the actual the, the the one of the reasons we actually do have a an, an origin moment there's a song called by a, an artist called Moose T a German DJ which is recorded in maybe 1998. It's called Horny. Oh yeah, okay. This is when Brian puts in a bit of it. And in the song, <laughs> in the Just song. Just in case he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm horny, 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 horny. So horny.
0: horny, 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 horny tonight.
1: I was working at a petrol station, the KCR, the summer that came out. And I remember what it was on the radio and a man who's looking at some videos in the video shop was like, I thought this is a family store. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I write the lyrics to all the songs on the radio like.
0: <laughs> He thought this was it
1: <laughs> I was like, I, I'm, like I'm not just spinning the decks for you I here, man That's, did not realise
0: this was a horny petrol station
1: <laughs> Well He didn't know how right he was But <laughs> As it happens In the song The singer of the song She lists a number of ways In which she tries to get contact With the man who, or woman Who knows The person she wants to Get horny with and she says that she you know she sends um she tries to ring him on the phone, she sends a message on the internet, she um <laughs> I I, I am you <laughs> she, yeah, she lists all these things, but she significantly does not list texting or sending a text message. Whereas a short two or three years later, I believe um Craig David referred to texting in one of his lyrics in probably around two thousand and one
0: yeah, so <laughs> In, in Hot and Juicy and Moose Tees, <laughs> Magnum Opus Horny, <laughs> she, she tries to call you but she cannot find the telephone. She sent a message to the internet but it rejected. And then amazingly, she wrote a letter and sent it in the post, but the post would take so long, so I've got to sing this song.
1: Well, you know, when, when you're that horny, you, you'll, you'll, you'll try
0: anything. <laughs> I'm so horny. I'm so horny I'm relying on on post <laughs> to, to get the ride. Right. To arkham, ark, ark, ark,
1: <laughs>
0: oh my god. Have you ever been so horny that you wrote a letter? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the monkey key, imagine what that letter is like.
0: Ride me now. Well, I kept knocking the writing table out of the way like <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: I, I await your response. Yours is
1: <laughs> I I remain your obedient servant. <laughs>
0: You know, you can like that, I suppose, if you, you know, in the you, context, if you've got the GIMP mask on. Can,
1: <laughs> oh, God, well. So it's agreed, anyway. So, so
0: Craig David invented texting, is what you're saying, well, in a nutshell.
1: One of the first recorded instances of, and there's a wonderful podcast, which many of you will enjoy, by, um, by James McWhorter in Slate magazine called Lexicon Valley. And he frequently uses the lyrics to Broadway tunes to demonstrate the, the development of slang and slang usage, and he shows how, how these things go. And I was inspired by that to look at how, you know, when do people start referring to texting? And because texting revolutionized flirting, and texting is central to the, um to the kind of the, the nerd culture revolution because people like me who are too shy to ask people out could suddenly text them and ask you out by text, and suddenly nerds were scoring because of the text message.
0: <laughs> that is, um...
1: Or getting girlfriends anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or boyfriends. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's my theory. I stand by it. <laughs> I lived through it.
0: <laughs> I mean, how successful were you at texting people and asking them so, out?
1: Here's the thing. I, I I used to be that I you know there was see, I I feel like Mel Brooks and the 2000 year old man when I talk about the 90s. But like, <laughs> um, so yeah, it used to be in the old days. You'd um, you'd ring the house, the father or the mother, or, or, or possibly an older sibling, which is actually the worst situation because they start doing the slags. I want I want to ask Anya Mara and Gill Cody out. So I ring up the house and I was like, good afternoon, Mr. McGillicuddy. Hello. May, may I speak to Anya, Moira, please? Who's this? My name's Derek. Um, I, um, what yeah. are
0: your intentions <laughs> as towards my daughter? <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> but then, so I make a bit of small talk. One of the things was, and... I realized one of the things that possibly got from going to Gonzaga is you could always make small talk about school rugby, which all the dads followed, even if they had no sons, which is really weird. I <laughs> never got it. I never <laughs> got the idea that, like, a man who lived across the road with five daughters, he was all, um, he was always trying to get information from me on schools rugby because he would make this banter with other businessmen. In he his was office. trying
0: to find husbands for his daughters.
1: So, so I see Zaga been knocked out again. Well. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. it's terrible. Oh, but, uh, but Black Rock are looking really bad this year. I was like, uh, the Rock and are what, looking bad this year. Uh,
0: and what would you do if you had to ring a household that was, for argument's sake, say, not full of twats?
1: Well, you know, growing up in Sudoku, I'd never met that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, you got it wrong, though. You don't you don't make small talk with the dad. You don't make small talk with the mom. You certainly don't make small talk with the older sibling. You just keep ringing until the apple of your eye answers. And if it's the wrong person, you hang up. Well. Uh, you just keep doing that. And I went through a lot of 20 pence pieces using the payphone in the middle centre.
1: <laughs> that's the that's the fourth verse of Horny that didn't get released. <laughs> 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 Is at the, pay, the payphone outside Mr. Lambs?
0: <laughs> oh no, come on now. Way back then, Mr. Lambs was called the Ocean Palace.
1: Oh God, where are you?
0: Yeah, Mr. Lamb hasn't been there forever. Oh. Uh, yeah, and the funny thing was, my mate Liam, his house phone number was one digit removed from the Ocean Palace. <laughs> so occasionally people would ring up and he just, for shits and giggles, if he answered the phone, he'd go, Ocean Palace? And if it was a wrong number, he would just take the order. Oh, and then, wow. And then leave them waiting for their Chinese. It was kind of cruel, actually.
1: That is, because Ocean Palace are the ones who get that in the neck afterwards.
0: Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, it was a really, really awful prank. Mm. It was hilarious at the time,
1: though. Well, my friend Aiden, what a really awful prank is when he had a voicemail on his phone. What he did was he, he recorded his voicemail as just "Hi, hi, I can't, I can't hear you. Hi, hi, I can't hear you. Hi," and then people thought that he was just there, and yeah. then they actually just put through the machine. And I was like, "Boop!" Yeah, it was re-
0: literally everyone did that at one stage.
1: A, yeah, it's. <laughs> When I was when I
0: was a teenager, there was this number doing the rounds. You should ring. People were saying, "Ring this number here. Ring this number there." Oh yeah. And it would go straight to a voicemail, and the voicemail was a man singing, anne Marie is not here, and Noel is gone. Leave a message. I won't be long. I'm not at the pub, and I'm not with the men. I'm up in Castle looking after a hen." Beep. And then and then it's like the voicemail box is full because it's just full of. Fuckers ringing it and going, oh, deadly.
1: <laughs> I remember that. And I remember a, f- a few elections back, you might be interested as, a, as an, a man with an interest in elections, as a candidate who was running in a Dublin called No Ivory. And No Ivory, you might remember, is it was a guy who's, you know, he was impressive. He cut he, he cut a dash in his, in a kind of a, a p- patterned um, jumper against, standing against an Ivory Coast flag. And he basically his whole election campaign was he had a voicemail number a phone mobile phone number you'd ring it and he'd be there on the phone girls just want to have fun was playing in the background for some reason and he was shouting into the phone saying you're like me I'm going to come here I'm going to clean up this town I'm going to clean up Bertie's mess gonna, and he and just list off various things but he clearly was a little in how shall I put this he was in an advanced state of refreshment <laughs>
0: That's, 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 uh, potentially defamatory.
1: No. He, okay. But he
0: was you know, <laughs> tired, I mean, tired and emotional.
1: I've been trying to identify, try to find this clip on YouTube ever since, but I remember we, we, we would listen to this clip and, you know, he didn't do terribly well in the election. Like he certainly didn't get elected. And some we will say it's much of a muchness whether you just miss out or whether you get 42 votes, which I think he did.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like there's kinda oh. there's speaking as someone who 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 didn't miss out, I know that if I had just missed out, I'd be like, Oh, you know what? That was close. I think people are really interested in what I have to say and I'll give it a rattle, I'll refine my message, I'll talk to more people, I'll go at it again the next time out. If I got forty two votes, <laughs> I wouldn't want to hear the word politics again. <laughs> just, ah, uh, you know what, actually, this is not for me. Um yeah, this has very quickly become two dads reminiscing about when you didn't have mobile phones. But we were talking about Americanisms at one stage.
1: Yes, and in some ways, this is, we're going to point that the text isn't an Americanism, but one. Well, no, we had it first. Yeah. So one thing though that, and we're also going to point out that mom is actually how the letters M A M are pronounced, Oscalga.
0: Yeah, it is because it's your mommy. Mommy. She named my mom. I guess You know, and and that's probably why in Munster, it's mom. More often than it's ma'am, yeah. definitely more often than it's ma.
1: That's for sure. That, that's much ma'am there. And and mummy, how are we out in the mummy business?
0: A Peppa Pig is bringing mummy back with a vengeance, and it's, I'm not happy with these developments.
1: We, as as fathers, <laughs> we are concerned with the Peppa Pigification of Irish childhood. And, but not, it's bad enough, you know, the, um, I think the thing is Peppa Pig. I mean, there's a cartoon called Masha and the Bear, which my daughter loves. It is her favorite cartoon. It is made in Russia. It is banned in several... This is the
0: uh, Putinist propaganda.
1: This is the thing. It's banned in certain East European countries for being Putinist propaganda. Uh, The implication is the bear represents all the kind of the fine qualities of Russian-ness. He is, he minds his own business. Hibernation isn't a state of laziness. It's a state. It's basically a state of acknowledgement that winter is coming and your life is all about preparation. The bear is always preparing. He's always minding his own business. He's always preparing, but if anybody interferes, he gets very, very annoyed. And you know, he, he deals. He deals with the situation decisively. And Masha interferes. But Masha is a different form of Russianness in that she owns the world. <laughs> <laughs> Just the world hasn't realized it yet. So oh, but between these two, but this, so this dichotomy, as, or this, um, this double whammy is out there. So it's, and people are, in East Europe, they're saying they're concerned that this is, uh, this is actually subtle Russian propaganda, but I would consider that maybe Peppa Pig, as other, has maybe deeper and more sinister propagandist propagandists.
0: Uh, oh, you think it's British imperialist propaganda?
1: They're clearly Tories. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: Prop, if, you, if you don't think. Papa tanda.
1: <laughs> How about that one? If you listen to the way Grandpa Pig speaks, I mean, there's, there's a kind of a false um there's a false utopia there and the way you kind of it, it it seems kind of like a classless society where everyone just gets along. But clearly
0: if I, you... I have not looked this deeply into these uh into these uh these programs. Mind you, the only thing I watch with my kid is Tom's the Tank Engine. Mm-hmm. And the occasional episode of Postman Pat.
1: Oh yeah, there's there used to be a great uh, dub over a postman pat with a loud accent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have not shown him that one yet. Oh, I'm a big fan of um on Katahata. Oh yeah, Katahata, C- Katahata actually Katahata. It's, it's the Irish dub of Doctor Seuss's Cat and Hat. It's on TG Car and it's class.
1: Excellent. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. yeah, I mean
0: it's it's Cat and Hat. It's Doctor Seuss. Like it's not it's not entirely unproblematic, but it's cool. It's fun colors.
1: It sure is. But we, um, we've um dr- we drifted a little, but so... <laughs> yeah,
0: sorry, <laughs> what Americanisms was this girl using again at the start of the podcast six years ago?
1: <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so then, one of the Americanisms that this um that was brought, brought to attention was the idea that men are trash. And the word trash is not a word we use for waste in general. I mean, Irish women have been giving out at Irishmen and and other men, too, for you know, since for for a long time, often with gauze, and but the word trash is a fairly recent entry to this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's not that the word trash has has entered into the vernacular. It's not like people say, you know, the trash goes out on Wednesday, and mm. you know, this week it's the green trash bin, and next week it'll be the grey trash bin. It's that there's a phrase
1: man of trash. trash, yeah, uh,
0: immortalised by our Shanakarja Tebby Rex. Uh, have you heard their song "Men Are Trash"? Yes, class. It's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Chapter one: Men Are Trash. Uh, yeah, but so it's it's just it's just a phrase. It's a thing. It's like if you were to say "Men Are Rubbish," people would certainly understand what you're talking about, but it wouldn't be very, it wouldn't be very internationally recognised. It wouldn't be very yeah. online of you.
1: This is the thing. And so this, this in the way, the idea that a, a word can, as part of an expression can enter a language without actually fully penetrating. MetaTrash trash this way is the same way that we... What? <laughs> fully penetrating. <laughs> fully penetrating, okay.
0: <laughs> no, no, go on, it's fine. It's this fine. is
1: why we, we, we in Ireland will still refer to ballpark figures without actually calling uh, uh, Coke Park a ballpark.
0: They are. Give me a ballpark figure. That really came out of left field. There are loads of baseball euphemisms that have successfully entered the Irish vernacular without, and I say this as a baseball player, without baseball ever becoming popular over here.
1: It hasn't, it hasn't got a home run yet. But, um, <laughs> it's still stuck at first base. And this chap, anyway, who's giving out of Americanisms, didn't consider the Americanisms he used, such as ballpark figures, and you do the math.
0: Ah, uh, no, I'm, I still say you do the maths.
1: You do the maths? You do the maths, because it's maths. We I had a debate with this and that you you don't have one mathematic mathematics and someone said no it's it's um, it's that mathematics is actually an abbreviation of a larger sentence which is you know problems of mathematics.
0: All I'm saying is the English translation for Gotha La Mata was busy at maths. Goffa. So if it's immortalized in the school books, I'm I'm down with it. If it's there, if it says maths in the school books, which it does, busy at maths, not busy at math.
1: Busy at math. Math. Well, so but people will you will still feel people say do them do the math, but because that's so the, the entire expression does come from the United States. But you're saying do the maths and you still you don't say uh, a park figure.
0: Oh God, no! <laughs> I say no. give me a rough estimate.
1: Yeah, a rough estimate. Give me
0: a rough estimate. <laughs> no ballpark figure. Ballpark figure is fine. Like ballpark figure, and and if somebody says, oh well, yeah, it's in the ballpark of, mm. you know, it's in the region of this. Yeah, I.
1: So this is the thing that and that Americanisms that come in from from political commentary seem to be fine. It's ultimately this is really people are concerned with Americanisms that come in from pop culture.
0: Yeah. It's it's snobbery, isn't it? Yeah. It is lexicographical snobbery.
1: It is. And the idea is, you know, these are trivial things. And it's that maybe that wouldn't be so bad before, but the idea is that there's such there's such a strong overlap between um pop culture or protest culture at the moment that it is Maybe um, the people need to revise their separation of those two things and reconsider the snobbery.
0: Fuck yeah. I get all my news from Teen Vogue.
1: <laughs> Don't we all?
0: It's like, yeah, that's right on. Like, you know, this is, this is, yeah, pop culture and protest culture. They're totally intertwined, but like they have been before. Like yeah. they were before in like in, in <clears throat> 1967 to 72, you know, the the height of the Vietnam War protest songs were incredibly, incredibly big. And and they were big over here as well. Like, we fell in love with Dylan and Neil Young and to a lesser extent the likes of Barry Maguire. And yet it was totally, totally intertwined. This idea that the American pop culture we were consuming was this sort of leftist, folk-based anti-war. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it has happened like this before. And yet the same people who grew up in that era are sort of a little bit more, they sort of poo-poo the idea that you might learn something off, uh, you know, off Twitter or off Facebook or something like that.
1: Yeah, and it's like, obviously the, the, the Dubliners and to, to the last extent the Clancy Brothers were very uh, influenced by the various kind of folk music, folk folk traditions in the United States in that they um, certainly, I mean, Luke Kelly would have covered a certain number of uh, union protest songs. Well,
0: definitely. Luke Kelly's version of the Pete Bog Soldiers, which was translated by Pete Seeger and was originally written by... Um, prisoners in the spanish civil war uh leftist international brigade prisoners in the civil war it was originally a virzindi Moor soldaten and then that became we are the peat bog soldiers and luke kelly's version is brilliant lancome's version is off the charts it's incredible it's definitely hands down the the definitive best version of that song but yeah protest music absolutely and meshed in with pop culture absolutely i suppose and this is me showing my age like where do the Kardashians <laughs> fit into this equation?
1: So, this is the thing in that obviously the, the biggest case of pop culture and politics and activism overlapping is probably is, is in the world. It must be, has an Irish root, which is live aid. But, that, but people will now say <laughs> that live aid is kind of. Overwhelming. We look back in the live aid now. And we see this. Um, maybe there's a problematic the idea of um, white savior complex. White savior complex. Uh, the idea of 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 taking a kind of consumerist approach to uh, to fixing problem, particularly the fact that yeah. I mean,
0: I the, mean, look. There's also the elephant in the room is that just Bob Geldof has uh,
1: not distinguished himself since they are.
0: That's uh-huh. that's that's the diplomatic way of saying it.
1: It's a funny one because I think on one level we can see that the, that there are certain issues, conceptual issues, with the Live Aid project. We don't we don't think less of George Michael when we find out that he actually signed over all the royalties Last Christmas to Live Aid. Why would we think less of him? exactly, we we, we don't think we think ultimately it's a good thing, even though we think that there's problems with Live Aid. We, a lot of it is down to we don't like we we're concerned with Bono and Bob Geldof's use of that platform to do other things.
0: There was a concert once in in uh, in Dublin. And uh, Bono was you two were there, and Bono was there, and he was like, "Every time I snap my fingers, a child in Africa dies." And somebody in the crowd went, "Stop fucking snapping your fingers, then!" <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, we um, obviously there's uh, there's a lot to cover in terms of that, but um, there's a lot to cover in terms of the. Um, the Live Aid thing, but suffice it to say that at the time the idea was that there was not, that there was an Irish interest in the famine related yeah, to Yeah, of course. To it. it really
0: spoke to, to who we were, you know, it kind of, it really reached into our souls. And to be honest with you, problematic as certain methods of delivering foreign aid are now, we're much, much better these days than we were 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're much, much better these days than we were around the time of Live Aid, which was 34 years ago. Was it That's right? Yeah, yeah. A, 1985,
1: Was it? Yeah, yeah. The single was there was Christmas nineteen eighty four, and then the concert was nineteen eighty five. Yeah.
0: Um. So the, the like we're much much better now. We we deliver foreign aid in line with the sustainable development goals, and but we're still one of the best countries in the world uh, per capita at 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 donating to, to foreign charities. So it does it does speak to a generosity. But I mean, did we pick up money? Did anything enter into our vernacular through live aid?
1: Give us your fucking money.
0: (laughs) Apart from give us your fucking money. (laughs) But I mean, like we were talking about Americanisms and it was, it was the the transatlantic concert. You know, Phil Collins hopped on a Concord and, you know, he played both London and Philadelphia. You know, incredible. Hmm. Oh my God, amazing. Carbon footprints off the fucking charts. Like you wouldn't do it now, but at the time, using the information available, that was so cool. Oh my God, amazing. Brilliant. But But, like, I mean, did, did it, I know it was like the ultimate crossover of pop culture and protest culture and politics, but did it, did it influence how we speak?
1: I, I think it def, it, I think in a way it did and that it meant that people realized if you, if you consider say that at one point, at one point, U2 were peers to bands like Simple Minds in Excess, but the actual the inclusion of a political dimension actually allowed, gave them a sustained them in audiences' minds when those other bands kind of just tra- tra- trailed off. The idea was in order to get from the, the, the two successful albums in a row to becoming actual global megastars, people expected pop stars to have a certain social conscience dimension and they expected okay. that in the lyrics.
0: So you're saying basically Live Aid gave U2 the social clout to become the biggest band in the world, which they were undoubtedly for a time. Yeah um probably unseated by Green Day in and around their height. But like
1: yeah, okay. So. For me the idea was and, and and Green Day as well. The idea, I think, that people just the same the idea that say people listen to a band, but in order to keep listening to a band three or four albums later, they expect yeah. them to have a little bit of sub- something substantial to well, them.
0: But that was that was the Green Day leap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one of their albums was, was called Dookie. Like literally they named an album after a shit. Right? Yeah. And and it was all about weed and masturbating. And then, in order to sort of catapult themselves to global superstardom, they delivered American Idiot, which is a, more or less a concept album. It's got a nine-minute rock opera in it, and it's about how basically is it nine the prospect,
1: minutes and eleven seconds? Is it?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not sure when it came out. So because uh, well, so,
1: Wake Me Up on September 11th is obviously about 9 11. Yeah. And
0: but I mean, yeah, exactly. And you know, it was a nine minutes and eleven seconds. That's very clever. Huh. Well done, Billy Joe. Um... But yeah, so they they sort of gave themselves that social dimension, and they uh, they they basically Mm -hmm. bloomed. They they exploded. They became huge. They were massive. And (laughs) then they were in the Simpsons movie, and we've heard nothing
1: since. And that's the thing, we we have, uh, um, like the police realised that they couldn't just uh, sing in a fake Jamaican accent about prostitutes anymore than that Sting needed to have a you know, find his own cause. Well listen,
0: there's only so many times you can play the Roxanne game before your elbow gives out from drinking too
1: much. <laughs> it's just,
0: you ever played the Roxanne game?
1: How do I play the Roxanne game?
0: So when you're at a party and somebody plays Roxanne, right, you divide the room into two teams, you can do boys and girls, you can do whatever way you want. One team drinks every time Sing says Roxanne and one team drinks every time they sing put out the put you know uh, put on the red light oh wow yeah
1: yeah that would ruin you yeah
0: yeah yeah it's class
1: <laughs> but uh
0: so i think i think there's a nub of, of what you're saying live aid certainly made more people than ever before hear and listen to a dublin accent
1: yes it did and well, it's it's hard to know that we we think about say i mean i well, my point is, when we look at Irish identity and its relationship with the Irish language, the 80s, and particularly the, the U2 era, was a point when people started saying, We don't see Irishness as, as these particular things anymore. We we started to see ourselves as the, the global island, everyone's best friend. The U2, Italia 90 river dance kind of trajectory was was a point, was it was the high point of cultural cringe. And then after that, we started actually revisiting Irish. Incorpor- um, you started seeing Irish pop acts incorporate bits of. Irish music you think, and things do you think, afterwards. Do
0: you think Riverdance was a high point in cultural cringe?
1: I think it was the, the turning point when the cultural cringe the was dropping. Point. Yeah, 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 it was I, definitely,
0: it was the sea change.
1: And I think this is the it thing. It was the,
0: holy fuck, I did not know Irish dancing could be sexy. That was the moment, like, that was, that was it, like, because, and it was, because, like, the 70s, Irish music, popular Irish music in the 70s was the Dubliners, the Clancy Brothers. It was an embracing of Irish culture and an embracing of a narrow, if anything, definition of Irish culture. Yeah. I mean, when the 80s came, like, We were so poor that if you couldn't play football well, you better hope you're good at music because otherwise you're just,
1: yeah, you're riddled. Like (laughs) (laughs) you had to kick your way out, or you had to sing your way out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but or in the case
0: of Larry Mullen Jr., just look shit cool. Just look shit cool. Yeah, sure, you can learn to drum along the way. It's no problem. It's like, Adam's dad has a van, so, you know, he can be in the van.
1: He, he is so that my dad has a van. <laughs> <laughs> <He's>, my spoon! <laughs> but I would say, I think one of the reasons that people have a very kind of... I think I think people hate... It's important to point out that people hated Bottom before the tax thing. <laughs> and the tax thing just made it easier. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. do think that we... In some ways, that the that you two did represent maybe the uh, kind of a certain point in our own relationship with ourselves as Irish people and how we saw ourselves, and that we they started saying, "We're we're, we're Irish, but you wouldn't know it straight away."
0: Yeah, you wouldn't tell from the music, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't tell from the way we act, and you wouldn't tell from what we do, and it's it's interesting. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's there's um, there's a lot there's a lot to look into there,
0: and. It- what Americanisms was this girl using again at the start of the podcast? Okay. So, so far back.
1: <laughs> there is another Americanism which came up, and this also has a political dimension, and it also has a pop culture dimension. This is the use of the phrase boomer. Oh, I
0: fucking hate when that's used over here. Yes. I absolutely hate when it's used over here. And you know why I hate when it's used over here? Do tell. Because, like, it refers to... It refers So, Boomer, if anybody's unfamiliar, it refers to uh, people born between, roughly speaking, 1945 and 1965. It's the post-war generation, the post-World War two generation. Yeah. People who were born into an era of unheralded prosperity. You know, two cars in every driveway and a refrigerator in every house. And... It, it It is symptomatic of, of a kind of a generation of people who will turn around and say that millennials and Gen Zers, uh, you know, complain about everything. Why don't they just pull up their bootstraps and work like me without realizing the inherent social structures and advantages that allowed them to progress in the way that they did? That it was dirt cheap to buy a house. It was so easy to buy two cars. It was, you know, it was Dead cheap to go to college and likes. The reason I hate it when it's being used over here is we didn't have a baby boom. In the post-war years. Yeah. We still had rationing. Like, we were dirt poor over here. We didn't get this post-war economic boom because we were neutral during the war. We had no economy to speak of. We were still a very agrarian nation. It wasn't until Lamas <coughs> became Taoiseach that we looked for things like foreign direct investment and heavy industry. Now, we since pissed away all our heavy industry, and most things are based around foreign direct investment and tourism. But we had our baby boom in the 1980s. So, like, you and I, Derek, we're we're boomers. We're the Irish version of baby boomers. Now, that said, the generation before us, was it easier for them to buy a house? Yes. Was Mm. it easier for them to have two cars? Yes. Was it cheaper for them to go to college? Yes and no, because we benefited from free fees in 1997, but it's far more expensive now to go to college than it would have been when our parents were younger, despite the so-called free fees. It's just the case that the, the same inherent social you know, support structure wasn't there for Irish people at this time. Sure, it was easier, and it's more difficult now because of global financial concerns, but anybody who uses the term boomer unironically to refer to Irish people who were born between 1945 and 1965 is just being ignorant. Like, it's just wrong.
1: Yeah, because there are some some things that you you can apply to different countries, the same way that that in Germany they have have certain generational delineations which don't apply here. And if you were, yeah, just, if, that's
0: for damn sure. Like for very obvious reasons, like, yeah. you know what I mean. They, they, they had, they had a, a generation that were affected by a nationwide recession because of unification. Mm-hmm. Like you know, okay, we may have that at some stage in the future. You never know what way things are going to go, but like it's certainly not something that's applicable right here, right now. But we're a very Anglo-centric culture, and there's just this desire that well, if the Brits and the Yanks have boomers, we must have boomers. I'll use that term, and it's just oh, it's just so. It's just it's just off, like it's and off target. It's not right.
1: Arguably, we don't really have a Gen X either because the big the, the defining characteristics of Gen X, obviously apart from having boomer parents, were that families were smaller and different because of divorce and contraception.
0: <laughs> yeah, so our Gen Xs were born in the two thousands. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah I, yeah, I mean, well, we got contraception. I, I, well, no, contraception was available. It mm-hmm. was available in the 1980s. So there's a theory that we could, and it was kind of the turning point socially where families started to become a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Like um, both of my parents, uh, five or six siblings, you know? Yeah. Uh, I have one sibling, both of us born in the 80s. So we do, in theory, we have maybe a Generation X that came along seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 years later. But i mean we we kind of kind of did like we still had we still had people who were you know into skateboarding culture you know or mm-hmm. you know the graffiti uh punks things like that we still we still experienced all that, you know,
1: yeah, but it was an odd fit, so I mean we've covered a lot of very important and relevant ground today <laughs> <laughs> But I am still
0: hoping we could, you know, I was hoping we could naturally find some way to bring it back around yeah. to, to something.
1: <laughs> what we will do is say that if in terms of the... Um, so when we think about the, the people saying men are trash or referring to boomers or, you know, um, or saying someone's woke, which is uh, <laughs> it, has, it has its own context, Do does the acquisition and dis- distribution of loan words from America or anywhere else represent a transfer of values?
0: That's a really good question because like the 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 term boomer is inherently charged it's loaded nobody says boomer in a positive way you know what I mean it's always like oh you have no idea of the social scaffolding you had and I don't and you know mm. you don't how dare you tell me that I'm just not working hard enough I'm working two jobs and I still can't afford to pay the rent in Dublin you know it's not done in the sort of a like oh aren't the boomers lovely like it's yeah. never done in that sense so it is it's it's a value statement in and of itself but I mean other things are just used because that's just what you say like there's a recent kickback on Twitter against Irish people using the term y'all yeah and like nobody's using it unironically to 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 hail a group of people. Like nobody's yeah. going to the smoking section of the work and going, of y'all. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's just hey yes. Hey is, hell is. But it's like it's it's used on Twitter because it's just that's the phrase. That's what you say. It's just it's this sort of like y'all thing. And and to be honest with you, it's it's a safe kind of cultural appropriation because it's it's it's, taking, it's appropriating from the dominant culture. It's appropriating from the ubiquitous culture. It's not yeah. taking it's not taking something from a minority culture and using it mockingly. If anything, it's kind of punching up. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that and the fact that, like, you know, the only y'all that's important is in East Cork. We know that. That's fine.
1: We certainly do. And on that note, on that relevant note, <laughs> I want to thank you very much, Patrick, for joining me again today. Yeah, no worries. Until next time, it's a slum from me.
0: Like a slum, I'm sure, y'all. <laughs>
1: Don't be trash. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Head stuff have a number of other shows. They're not as good as Mother Folklore, but they might be. <laughs> but they might. Wait, they might be good enough for you. For example, one 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 of the shows is that if you enjoy the Sweet Valley High books, there is a Sweet Valley High podcast called Double Love that is on Head Stuff Podcast Network. You might also enjoy...
0: Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. 60 minutes, 60 questions with an interesting person.
1: Give it a go. If you want to contact the show, you can contact us by email at motherfucklerheadstuff.org. We're always looking for content for our next Mailbag episodes. We'd love to hear from you. And if you send us an audio clip, we might play it instead of just reading it out in a funny voice.
0: That's not a funny voice. That's my fucking
1: voice. <laughs> really?
0: That's my... <laughs> But that, that's just me
1: reading. I thought you were doing a Brian Blessed impression.
0: I will, <laughs> Marty. <murder you. laughs>
1: thank you so much to Kirsten Shield for doing her art. She is amazing. And thank you very much to Brian for doing the production work. He does a lot of work cutting out the boring bits. There are no boring bits. Brian cuts out the even more interesting bits that we're, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to put on. <laughs> the Who stuff knows? that we're saving for Motherfucker After Dark. Motherfucker After Dark. In the meantime, um Mind yourselves, I guess. It's long full. This has been a production of the Head Podcast Network.
0: Well, 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 <laughs> we'll put a framing device in this before it goes out to actually.